0: Taking advantage of this deal, getting your hands on what's included in the package is the best way to enhance your performance this year. So go to rotoviz.com and subscribe now.
3: We're talking wide receiver regression trees and the 2021 prospects on roto Radio. What's up, roto Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz, joined by Matthew Friedman of Fantasy Labs and the Action Network. We are going to talk some more about wide receiver prospects today. Uh, it seems pretty universal that Jamar Chase is the number one. Matt, have you seen any outlets where uh, you are getting a differing opinion on Chase?
1: I don't think so. I mean, there might be some people here or there who either have Devontae Smith, number one, or some people who are like, especially Roto who might be on Rashad Bateman. Um, but yeah, I mean far and wide it's Jamar chase.
3: Yeah. Yep. And, um, are you still, uh, in love with Rondale Moore?
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to be like every. Every week on Twitter, you see something else uh, just about how athletic this guy is. Did you see the picture last week where he basically <laughs> looks like Saquon Barkley?
3: Yes, I did see that. Yes, it, it is. It is a thing of glory. Um, yeah. You know,
1: like I've, I've on him now at 100, 100 to one to be the number one receiver drafted, Like he's not going to be, but I think his odds are higher than that, especially let's say if Jamar Chase underperforms yep. at the LSU pro day. And then Rondell Moore runs like in the four threes or the four twos. Then I think he might actually have a shot. You know, maybe it's just like a four percent shot or five percent shot. But I still think I'm getting in good at a hundred to one.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you talk about uh, the potential of him really shooting his draft spot up because one of the things that we're going to talk today is just how important draft position is. Uh, and in the case of Rondell Moore. I have seen him in different mocks fluctuating pretty greatly not always a first rounder but if he does make his way into the first round we're going to talk about why that puts him into this grouping of players that have a tremendous amount of potential. So what I wanted to talk about on this episode were regression trees. Uh regression trees are something that we've had available at Rotoviz for a while now. Kevin Cole a long time ago used some of these Anthony Amico on Rodoviz and um, you know, everywhere else that he's done work is in a lot of stuff with regression trees. So I'm going to kind of give a high level, mat of what a regression tree is, just some minor details on how I would put these together. And then you can ask any questions that you think listeners might have. That would that work. Yeah. Okay. So a regression tree really, what it is in essence, is a series of questions that when you answer the first question That then presents you with another question, and then depending on how you answer that question, you get brought to another question, and eventually, you get down to a final question that brings you to some type of prediction or some type of classification. So in the case of a wide receiver regression tree, what I'm doing um, in this case is I gather a whole slew of different data points uh so for a wide receiver prospect i'm gonna gather information on how many touchdowns he scored per game how many receptions he had per game uh his age at the end of his final collegiate season um you know market share receiving dominator all of these different data points that i have available and then I run them through a regression tree model, which is more or less an algorithm that is looking at different ways that it can split the population into smaller and smaller sections while attempting to be predictive, in this case, of the fantasy points that those players will score in their first three seasons in the NFL. Um, Can I I already
1: ask some
3: questions? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Or is it too soon? Well, no, let's see, let's see.
1: Okay, so when you are uh, splitting down into smaller and smaller groups, do you go about trying to fight against overfitting uh, your sample?
3: Yes, so that's a great that's a great question. Um, and that's one of the problems that you have with really any model that uh, you're making. And it's one of those that when you're working through the process of finding the right regression tree, you're going to see a lot. Um, because for example, there are only 260 or so players that have played three NFL, like three full NFL seasons or have been in the NFL for three years for who I then have all of the data that I want to work backwards on. So what you're going to find is as you are making these splits, um, you definitely run into a lot of problems with overfitting because also if I have 260 players at any given time, I am not running all 260 of them through a model because I have to take my list of 260 players, randomly separate that out so that I have a group of players which I'm calling a training set. So those are the ones that I feed into the model and that the math is being done on to kind of draw conclusions, find the relationships, and build the tree. And then you have players that you've excluded from that, so that you can, what you would call like a test group of players, that you then feed through the model, and you see how it performed. Um, So yeah, you do definitely run into a lot of overfitting, because there's a couple of things going on, and what you're trying to find in a regression tree is different profiles of certain type of players. And the reality is... There are not going to be, you know, a great number of players that perhaps like um, you know, got the tremendous amount of their of their work done in the college in the college game via touchdowns, and that didn't get going until they were, you know, like in the last year of their career, just different situations like that. So, um, overfitting, I should say, too, just for anybody that hasn't heard that term because it can get a little confusing. Overfitting is when you make a model that is too reliant upon the specifics of the data set that you're working with. So the model is getting almost too granular and too detailed on the specific players that you have in that list that you then can't apply that model to other players. So it wouldn't be representative of like the total population of wide receivers. It would really only be representative to that particular sample that you're working with. Does that clear up uh, any of your question, Matt?
1: Yeah. And I was going to ask how it is that you go about determining predictiveness, but you answered it by talking about splitting your sample, your overall sample basically in half. So you have one that is uh, kind of testing for the other half.
3: Yeah. And, um, you know, there's different ways that you can evaluate uh, what that difference is mathematically um i I just have been using a pretty simple format it doesn't that probably doesn't matter but basically what i'm looking at is are the predicted values that you get on that test set close to those players actual values and and of course for something like this where you're predicting three years of fantasy points um you can only get so close so like on an average player i'm an absolute value of two and a half points off so if a player's projected to score 13, what that means is he really could end up at like uh, ten and a half to um, 15 and a half is kind of the range. Yeah. Yep.
1: Okay. So what did you find?
3: Okay. So what I found is that, and my big caveat here, Matt, is because I was writing this for an article on the site, so I wanted to keep it somewhat simple so that people could get an idea for regression trees and interpret it, and yeah. also... Easily pop in stats for older players if they wanted to see how they would do so because of that I didn't include breakout age because that can be tough to find um, I will include that in an updated model on the site, which i'll probably be doing After the draft probably because we're going to see that draft position No matter how I sliced these things apart. Yeah, and no matter what i'm looking at um, the correlation between draft position and Pretty much anything that you're looking at for a receiver is about double anything else you can find right Right. so like it it explains two times the variance in points per game scoring over a player's first three years than any other metric right which like this should not be surprising to us so yeah yep go ahead yeah i mean it's it's
1: not surprising in a number of ways just because of what draft position means like in terms of what it probably reflects You know, like the NFL is probably fairly efficient at evaluating players and uh, drafting them into the NFL so that if a guy has high draft capital, it probably means. He's a pretty decent player, and that he probably has a lot of the other things that I think would be predictive of NFL success. And then, of course, because of the draft capital invested in him, he's likelier to have more opportunities early in his career within the first three years of his career. And, you know, we just know during the season, opportunities tend to translate into overall production, even if a guy isn't all that efficient. So draft capital, like that's number one, like that's the backbone of everything. And, you know, like we've had conversations before with uh, Matt Kelly, Fantasy Mansion, and like as fun as it is to talk about uh, wide receivers who will be drafted in the fifth round or guys who will go undrafted and then how they might do or, you know, like Fantasy Mansion will... I think uh, sometimes kind of berate me because I just focus primarily on draft position. And it's like, okay, yeah, I like this guy who was drafted in the third round in theory. I like him more than this other guy, but this other guy was drafted in the first round. So like, I have to, I have to prefer the other guy, even though stylistically, or maybe just as like a football fan, I would rather root for the guy who was drafted two rounds later, but I can't do that. Like draft position, It's I mean, it's not everything, but like draft position means so much more than anything else.
3: Yeah, it completely does. Um, And that just bears out in so many different types of analyses that you can do. And in fact, draft position is such a strong driver of fantasy production that you could have somebody just pop into a spreadsheet, play around, have no idea what they're doing from a modeling perspective. And build a model that's basically like just draft position and maybe one other variable that really might be noise. And that model will probably do something better, will have better results than if you give me a couple of hours to play around with some stuff, but I don't have draft position available. Like that's how strong it is of a predictor of NFL success. And-
1: Dave, are you are you talking about my models? <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what it sounded like. I mean, honestly, like dra- draft position, and then you add in a few other things that yep. might or might not matter. But yeah, like draft position is so important. And like, I've said this for years, but if, if all you did in your dynasty startups was draft based on draft position, because there are so many people in these drafts who either won, don't pay attention to draft position if you're in a kind of fishy league or they basically outthink themselves and they go against draft position in a lot of instances, which means a guy who was drafted in the first round like ends up falling to the bottom of the first round in a rookie draft. Like that just creates immense value. If all you did was just stick to draft position while you were drafting in startups or rookie drafts, over the long term, I think you would do well.
3: Yeah, I, I really have to just 100% agree with that. And that's one of the biggest things that has stood out to me the last couple of years when I'm doing uh, research and playing around with different numbers. Like, You want to find some other type of you know, breakthrough stat out there, a relationship that you can put into things. But I just really think it's impossible that you're going to trump um, draft position. And then the other thing, Matt, that's really interesting is and I should say, getting back to that whole idea of overfitting, because I don't have a whole lot of data to work with when you're looking at the regression tree, if you go and look at this article on the site that I built, you need to realize that the thresholds or the cutoffs in uh, in these questions are more like guidelines, because depending on what you toss into the regression tree for the training set, you're going to get slightly different numbers. So for example, the first question that the regression tree I've included for this year on the site asks is, was this player's draft position greater than 106? Now that's going to fluctuate, you know, maybe up or down, maybe five to 10 spots depending on the training set. But so basically I view this as, is a player going in the top 100 or not? That's the first decision, right? If a player then is drafted earlier than somewhere around 100, the cutoff really comes if they're drafted in the first round or not. And the crazy thing here, Matt, is the regression tree, if you are drafted in the first round, it only cares about one thing, and that is age. And in the tree that I built here, the only age variable I fed was final collegiate age. And the magic number that it found for age is somewhere around 21. Who's that prospect this year that's looking like they're going to be drafted in round one that's younger than 21? It's Jamar Chase, and that puts him in a group of players where they're projected to get an average of 15 points per game across their first three years. Right. So this is what we've known draft position and youth.
1: Yeah. And then the one other guy, maybe two other guys, potentially. Yep. Yeah. I I'm, And now I'm just grouping more and more, but like Rondell Moore. Yep. Like he will be 21 years old as a rookie.
3: Yep. Elijah yep. Moore.
1: will be 21 years old as a rookie. He's gotten a little bit of first-round hype. And then Terrace Marshall Jr., I believe, will be 21 as a rookie. And so maybe he slides into the bottom of the first round. Those are the three guys who have gotten a little bit of first-round hype, but they're not in the majority of round one mock drafts, to where if any of those three are able to land in the first round, like that is big news
3: yeah it really is um and we will talk about why for Terrace marshall jr in particular uh getting into the first round would be huge but we are going to take one quick break before we get to that hey everyone before we get started i want to tell you about blue wire hustle a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at blue wire Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you wanna host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q and A's with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that,
0: we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire?
3: You need Indeed. We'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you wanna grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. Look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best golfers sometimes three putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to GetRoman.com slash RotoViz now. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. go to getroman.com/rodoviz now to get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. getroman.com/rodoviz get started now to save $15 on your first month of treatment. Okay, so I had said that getting into the first round for Terrace Marshall Jr. would be huge. And he's also a player, Matt, that I like a lot, but there's something holding him back, which becomes very apparent when you start to look through some of his numbers. And that is, he was sharing the field with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, as we've talked about. Now, this is important because if you are a player that's going somewhere after the first round and before the 100th or so pick, the next question that you get to is was your draft position, all right, so it goes draft position less than 100-ish. And then if your draft position was greater than the first round, the next question is, was your receiving market share greater than or less than 22, your career receiving market share? Now, in the case of a guy like Marshall, I believe that it actually was less than that. I don't know if you have that up in handy, Matt, but I'm remembering when I was looking through this tree that he was, right? And what happens is, that then forces him into a cohort of players that only managed around six points in their first season. However, this goes back to something we talk about a lot about. Just because this model is saying this in the case of Marshall, I do think that it's fair to view him as a slightly different player. Um, but if the answer to that question was, no, he did get more than a uh, 22% career market share, we get back to age on this, on this tree. And if the player was less than 21, they ran, They land around 11 points. And then we get into our final variable, which is receiving touchdowns per game. Um, and the interesting thing, Matt, here is you can see that there is probably some overfitting because it's actually um, a detriment to a player that's on this branch in this particular regression tree to have gone over 0.68 receiving touchdowns per game. But the moral of the story here is... Um, these types of players that filter down here normally go between seven to 12 points, but, uh, it's a little bit hard to say what we should do with the receiving touchdowns. Um, because it's really saying it wants you to go for more than 0.57 per game, but under 0.6.8. Um, but I would (laughs) recognize, I would say to anybody, what I would really look for here is just to view receiving touchdowns as the next variable in this and hope that the player gets a lot.
1: Yeah. I mean, I like this feels like the point in a regression analysis uh, when it goes too far. Yeah. Like when, as you said, like it gets to the point of overfitting and like we've, uh, I would say like known slash intuited, like there there's been evidence suggesting that receiving yards and receiving market share that those are more important than touchdowns or like uh, market share of touchdowns, right? Yep. Touchdowns. And, and like we get the sense of this even in projecting during the season, like touchdowns are very fickle, what a guy does in one season in terms of his touchdown scoring, that's not really all that predictive in terms of what he's going to do the, ne- the next year as a touchdown scorer. But what he does as a yardage producer is much more predictive. So you pay attention to yards. You don't pay as much attention to touchdowns. And in the case of Terrace Marshall, I'm looking at a guy who I think is you know, going to go in, in the first 100 picks for sure. Um, a chance to go on day one, but if not day one, definitely day two, who wasn't that much of a yardage producer in his first two years. You know, of course, because he had Justin Jefferson there and Jamar Chase, but in his final season did have 731 yards in seven games. And for two seasons, his final two seasons did have 23 touchdowns, but a guy who's going to be selected high in the draft who is 21 years old as a rookie, who had good yardage production in his final season. Not as good as having it over the course of his entire career, but still good production in his final season. And then you add on what you know some people might think of as I don't know supplemental or like peripheral uh, peripheral things. But you know he was a five star recruit. He was playing at LSU, which is you know like a top tier school. He's six four and two hundred pounds. Like, that's the kind of guy I'm, I'm probably going to want, regardless of whether he's drafted in round one or round two.
3: Yeah. And then just, just kind of touch upon something there. So people might be um, curious as to why you would see receiving touchdowns popping up underneath receiving market share, not something like yards. And that's because when you're doing a regression like this. What can happen is there's certain variables that if you include them in the model, they don't actually make it any more predictive. And sometimes there's overlap between certain stats. So it's possible sometimes that one variable that you might want to include on some level gets picked up in another variable so like for example if you're getting the majority of receptions on a team you know it's probably likely too that you're getting the majority of yards so you don't always have to include all of those in a model and the other thing too that you find the more you do with models is though it would seem like adding in more and more and more variables to the model would make it better that isn't actually how it works out um when you, when you actually go and do things in practice. Uh, so you, you try to avoid that. So you generally try to keep them fairly basic if you can. Um, so we've talked now, Matt, about about how these things branch. And then I should say, if you're drafted after pick 100, uh, if you are less than 21, those guys actually still manage to get around eight points. If you are over 21, you're lucky if you're getting to six. Um, which just really drives home to why we reached certain points in the draft where those players we just don't really consider from a fantasy perspective because the odds that they actually hit are so low um, that it's not worth our time. And the other thing, Matt, is players in the pool that I had that were drafted after 100 – they account for 51% of players, right? So that, that's one of those things that makes this fairly easy. You can remove about half of prospects each year from the pool of players that you're even considering. So, you know, that's also yeah. a useful takeaway.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I would say the one guy last year who comes to mind, um, who was drafted after Pick 100... Uh, I believe in the fourth round who actually ended up doing something this year was Gabriel Davis. Uh, And he was 21 as a rookie, right. You know, like that kind of like drives home the point. And um, you know, he had production in college Uh, like, you know, pretty good production in his final year. He had 12 games, 1,241 yards, receiving 12 touchdowns. You know, Uh, in 2018, he didn't have numbers uh, that, like, on their own standout, uh, 815 yards, seven touchdowns, but he was still the number one receiver on his team. Like, still, in terms of market share, ended up having pretty decent production. So, uh, you know, Gabriel Davis feels like the kind of prototypical guy if you're going with someone drafted outside of the top 100 – he better look something like Gabriel Davis, it, like if you're hoping for him to have a
3: chance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so other players that uh, you might be curious about that are outside of the Smiths and the Waddles and the Batemans players that uh, are likely to go in the first round, Almond Ross St. Brown out of USC actually scores pretty well. Um, you mentioned Elijah Moore, who if his draft stock could really shoot up that would help him a lot. he uh, actually scores fairly well in this um beyond them though the only other player that would probably be going real late um, that actually scores fairly well is Nico Collins now he could get below pick 100 might go after it uh, he's a wide receiver out of Michigan one of the bigger players 64 215 um, so depending on where he goes he might get into that group of players that become interesting. Um, Like you said, Rondale Moore has a lot to gain in the draft. We'll have to see how he does. And then Kadarius Toney, I now have to view as a player that I'm a lot more interested in. Not the greatest numbers at Florida, but I've seen him with an average position um, of around 27, you know, sometimes going in the 20s in drafts. And if that happens, we're going to have to start to think about him differently.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He is going um, in the super majority of sharp mock drafts that I survey. Uh, And so, I I mean, like, I don't like I don't think of him as someone who hits a lot of the roto busy things that I tend to value. Um, But draft position is king. And I mean, I do have to admit, um, even though he wasn't productive in the first three years at Florida, uh, at least he still had production in a number of ways like and that is a roto thing you know to like guys who produce as receivers as runners as return men and at least he has that going for him so like that is something that can at least kind of offset uh, the fact that he didn't break out until the end of college
3: yeah for sure um, you know, a couple of other names, too, that you're not going to hear talked about that much that did decently um, in this regression tree. Anthony Schwartz out of Auburn, uh, Jalen Darden out of North Texas. I've seen some people getting excited about Jalen Darden. Uh, we'll have to see where he goes in the draft. Out of I can't. North Texas, that I can't doesn't do help. It. He's 5'9", 170.
1: I, I, I absolutely cannot do it with Jalen Darden. And, and like, I get all of the reasons for why um, they're... Like, is justifiable enthusiasm for him. But I mean, the level of competition, like, we just know it wasn't all that good at UNT. Um, and, you know, he was, like, as a recruit, like, five, nine, 160 pounds. Like, I honestly don't know if he's even 170 pounds at this point. Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe he is, but. I don't know like he wasn't really like there's a reason he was playing at UNT you know yeah. like I don't know I don't think he's going to be all that fast I'm just I'm a, I'm very skeptical like I, I hope he does well like it would be cool to see someone like him do well but I just don't know I don't know why he would do well uh, and someone like JJ Nelson won not half you know what I mean right. because I think like JJ Nelson like had legit athleticism I don't know if Jalen Darden does
3: yeah um so a, a player that kind of puts up disappointing numbers in a model like this is going to be diami brown who i know some people like but i have not seen him falling in many mocks below 100 in fact i'm not even sure that i have matt um so you know that's something that would hold him back despite some excitement that i've seen for oh go ahead he's
1: not going to go in round one for sure Um, but I think he's got a pretty good chance of going on day two. Like I'd say the end of round two, maybe like to the middle of round three feels kind of like the wheelhouse for him. If he goes there, what do you think
3: that means for him? Oh, I think that that's a huge, huge boost. I think that puts him up into a range where I'm realistically expecting somewhere between like eight to 12, uh, points per game in a model, which is like a pretty strong prediction. Uh, if he doesn't get that though then unfortunately my models would tend to put him in the realm of obscurity where he doesn't matter yeah i mean that makes sense yep so the final thing i will say is um i do plan on adding in athletic measurables to a regression tree that maybe we'll talk about later i'll definitely get up on that up on the site um I was holding off on doing that because I can guess as to draft position, but you know, the athletic measurables trying to guesstimate those for players. um, Not something I felt like doing yet. And very honestly, none of those measurables are going to come near draft position and age and probably production as well. Um, So we will take another look at that in the future. Uh, But that wraps up this episode for the week. Uh, if you are a Rotoviz subscriber, I want to let you know that the Range of Outcomes tool I have finalized rolling forward to 2021, um, so you should definitely go ahead to the site. Check that out, and we are going to be talking about that some in uh, the second episode of the week, but that does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter at FF and at MattFtheOracle. Thanks to Rotoviz for sponsoring the show as well as Blue Wire Hustle. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy. If you believe it.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.